0: frankly, as we talk about what in Christian circles is known as the end times, uh, it's a topic that has caused a whole lot of damage in the Christian church and people have had all kinds of wacky ideas about it and so we actually need to get right into the Bible and understand the revolutionary nature of what Jesus is actually teaching. And we're going to turn to Matthew, start by turning to Matthew 24 uh, and, and as I've said, this is a A topic that uh, has caused all kinds of concern for people but uh, this is a a point in Jesus life where it feels like everything's coming to a head. So we're gonna start looking at uh, 24 verse 1 uh, and at one level it's a very simple little verse, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Again just reading the text we can't really envisage uh, what the temple looked like. Uh, it was uh, massive. Herod had to- torn down the old one and built a new one and uh, it was, uh, if forget the exact dimensions but if you think in terms of, is anyone, if you stood outside the MCG that's the kind of dimensions we're talking about. Those sort of like 30 meter walls and it was like, I think it was like 20, it's, it, the, the area was like 24 soccer fields, uh, is is, the, is the, the the platform that was built over the top of Mount Moriah. Who knows what happened in Mount Moriah? See, so uh, if you speak really loud at Lena Valley, you might be able to hear you. Who, who knows what happened at Mount Moriah? So it was the, the mountain that uh, Abraham went to the top of, uh, but to be willing to sacrifice his son and the angel stopped his hand and so that is the very mountain that is where the temple is built in in Jerusalem Mount Moriah and it was this stunning building Herod had redeveloped and it was uh, they call it the second temple Like well, technically it's actually the third temple but it was the second they call it the second temple period now it's not possible for us to overstate how important the temple was for Jewish people. It's not possible for us to overstate how important the temple was for Jewish people. Why? Well, in order to understand the significance of what's about to happen and what the words Jesus is about to say, you actually need to understand the whole story of the Bible. The first part of the Bible starts with this beautiful picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of us having uh, the human beings having the kind of relationship with God where we just hang out. Where God just dwells with us. There's this lovely picture of of God walking through the garden in the cool of the evening and looking for his friends. He wants us to hang out with them. And then... Uh, as sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, God begins this rescue mission, this journey. And you'll see, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12, this is going to be flicking back a bit in your notes, Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's the the fifth book. Uh, And chapter 12, you can say, you see what God is saying here about what he's wanting. You're to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among you, and from among all your tribes, to put his name there for his dwelling. The great promise of Jerusalem, it's the same promise that was initially as after Moses went up the mountain and had a conversation with God and they, the people were led by the pillar and and they had to establish a tabernacle and that tabernacle eventually would be permanently housed in Jerusalem, in this place where God dwelt. And God, the longing of God's heart is just to be in relationship with people. He wants to, you'll find that, that word dwelling right the way through the Bible. And this is God's heart, He wants to dwell with you, to hang out with you. And, and the whole story of the Bible is the story of God reaching out and wanting relationship with us and it's interesting he he wants to put his name there for his dwelling why why would he want to put his name there what's so significant about his name? well again this is where as as English people reading the bible we, we miss so much for for the hebrew people your name was who you are it's your character and there is a a passage in the old testament that is related to by the old testament more than any others it's quoted by the old testament more than any others and it's a little passage that most of us just kind of skip over it's exodus chapter 34. so you've got your bibles sort of flick over with me to exodus 34. And you'll see Moses has had a hard time. He's been down uh, and he got the Ten Commandments uh, and saw that everybody had sort of gone off their own way. And uh, he had these incredible, these Ten Commandments, the law of God, handwritten by God for him. And he gets so frustrated pegs them at a rock or throws them down on the ground and they shatter in a million pieces so you're having that trudge back up and say uh you didn't happen to photocopy that did you 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 know Uh, and and it's in that context he says I can't do this on my own show me your glory in Exodus 33 and then God shows him His glory in Exodus 34. And you see what it says? The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, proclaiming His name. He asked for it to see his glory and he sees His name. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. God says he's looking for a place for his name to dwell, and that will be ultimately the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and and what is his name? It's who he is, it's his character. And this is where we've got to. I want to spend more time unpacking this. Can you see how, in this passage, as God describes himself, there is a beautiful, warm part of that that we relate to easily, generally, like the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger? That's, that sounds great, isn't it? I'm into that kind of God. But then, in the same breath, he says, Yeah, but I don't leave the guilty unpunished. What you see in the God of the universe is both justice And mercy and compassion and we want we tend to want to be one or the other most of us are predisposed to be justice people or mercy and compassion people but it's really important to understand that in the God of the universe you don't get to pick an either or Uh, they are both who God is and that'll start I hope to start to clear you in on the significance of who Jesus is and what he achieved what uh, we, we see in Numbers that the, the, the central place where God dwelt was on the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Actually, on the, they call it the mercy seat. And it was there that God's voice would be heard by Moses. And the glory of God, his, the fullness of who He is. It's interesting, the word glory in Hebrew means weight. The glory, glory in Hebrew means weight, and it's the full weight of who He is. So, what is the significance of the temple? As we come to hear Jesus' words, why, why is it such a big deal about what Jesus is going to say? The temple was the point of intersection between heaven and earth. Do you get that? The temple was the point of intersection between heaven and earth. if if you wanted to have a quiet time if you wanted to pray and talk to god that's where you needed to go it was this incredible place where god's yearning to dwell with his people was expressed now we also see in the old testament this understanding that god's much bigger than could be expressed in a in a temple or and and you know he doesn't dwell in Uh, anything built by human hands we see but there's this sense in which the temple is this incredible place and at the centre of Jewish faith it is the centre of existence. And so you start to understand people, the, 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 the profound disturbance people would hear when they hear Jesus' words next where he says, Do you see all these things, this incredible place I built? This incredible place that Herod built, rather? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus here is pronouncing judgment on the temple itself. Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the temple itself. And what we know from history, it would only be 40 years later that that would come true. That the the temple itself would be physically destroyed. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Jesus has been building to this point. He... uh, he actually said, and this is, uh, you know, you imagine if you're a Pharisee or a, a Sadducee, a teacher of the law, and you understood that the temple was the place, the point of intersection between heaven and earth. Imagine, if, if you read his words, if you got your, flick over to Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. Imagine, now, now hear Jesus' words where he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. If you'd known what these words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See here, for Jewish people, you, you, something greater than the temple is here? More than that, he actually says, John chapter 2, right up, if you've got John chapter 2, right up front. The Jews say to him, this is right at the start of John, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. They knew exactly that's how long it took Herod to rebuild it. Uh, And you're going to raise it in three days? What's he saying? Jesus is saying that he has replaced the temple. All the functions that happen in the temple are now happening in and through him. He is the point of intersection between heaven and earth. Now, there's a a thing that many Western readers of the Bible miss. You see, there is a, in in the first temple, there's this beautiful moment that the glory of the Lord comes and settles in the temple, as it's dedicated by Solomon. And then there's this tragic moment in the book of Ezekiel, where we see the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. Do you know what? It has not, even though there's a second temple, there is no recording of the glory of the Lord coming back. And most Jewish people saw themselves as still being in exile, waiting for the return of the glory of God waiting for the return of god's presence in the temple and that's why again we we will often overlook uh the the significance of uh words because they're in english but if you look at john uh, chapter one as john introduces the whole idea of jesus and what he's about it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us do you know what the in greek the word for dwelling there is the word tabernacle it's the same word and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and what is that what was the significance of that we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You see this double nature of who God is, justice and mercy and compassion, grace and truth. Jesus is the representation of who God is and the longed for what the Jewish people missed is that the glory of God did return to the temple. They just weren't expecting it to look like a Jewish man. And so he is here pronouncing judgment on the temple and the disciples are not really understanding the significance of what he's saying. They're saying, so, so when do we get to take over? It's like the Labour Party waiting for the Liberal Party to get knocked off. When do we get to take over? When do we get to try the nice new seats? That's that's kind of what's happening here. That is, is we turn back to so that you need to understand all that background to start to understand the significance of what's happening here in Matthew twenty four. So yeah, thanks Siri. Um, so so Jesus now leaves the temple, goes to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples come up to him and privately they say, so, so when's this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they're saying, they're, they're assuming that the, there is a, 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 the, that the destruction of the temple and them taking over is the same thing. That's what they're assuming. They're assuming that the destruction of the temple and, and Jesus coming back are the same thing. We know that they're not. Because the temple was destroyed and Jesus didn't come back at that moment in the way they were expecting it. Now, again, we need to understand the context. See, we, we a lot of us talk about second coming as though it's this... N- unique christian concept that probably tim LaHaye came up with in the left behind books or whatever well we'll get into that in a minute um no it's the it's the greek word parousia is this idea where, where where they say uh your coming is the greek word parousia and and what that word means is actually they used the same word for the coming of a king into a city that it was regularly used for Caesar coming into a city, it was the arrival of Caesar into a city, so it was a, it was a political statement about the arrival of a political leader into a city. And so they're saying, so when does this political kingdom come? And Jesus now enters into a discussion about what to expect about the end times. And what's his first concern? If you look at verse four, what's his first concern about the end times? Yeah, don't let anybody deceive you. It's almost like Jesus knows, you know, what life has been like over the past couple of thousand years and how often we Christians, like if you haven't been a Christian for a long time, don't panic about all this, this is, I'm, I'm now speaking to those who are around around during the 70s and 80s and 90s and how often uh, we, 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 how easy it is for us to head down the wrong path with this kind of stuff. He said the first thing he wants to say is don't be deceived. And again, there are, again if you just become a Christian or you're on the path to Christianity, I want to say welcome to the family uh don't get too hung up on this stuff and when you meet people who are hung up on this stuff just smile uh because th- i gotta tell you there are some christians who are hung up on this stuff uh and they fall broadly into three camps uh and, th- and they'll they'll wear them around like that they'll say so are you are a pre-millennial a post-millennial or an amillennial And if you don't know what any of that means, don't worry too much. Um, We will, in the course of time, start to unpack a bit more. But what's really important, I was talking about this earlier, the, the centre of our faith is Jesus. And when the centre of our faith moves to something else, it starts to become a problem. That's why Jesus starts with, don't let anybody deceive you. And let me tell you some serious stuff has happened because people were too focused on the end times. There's tragedy that happened in Waco, Texas, or Jonestown, or there's a really sad little Baptist church uh, in America, they call themselves Westboro Baptist Church, they're very focused on the end times, it's all they talk about and they uh, go and protest at places, telling people how much God hates them. Um, it's a shame that anybody can call themselves a Baptist church. Similarly, and I don't think there's a, there's a, there was through the 70s, well in the 1970s, but there was a movie released, actually in 1972, called A Thief in the Night. Who, who, saw, who saw A Thief in the Night? Who, freak, who freaked out when they saw a thief in the night? <laughs> it was through the 70s and 80s, it was a movie they showed youth group kids to scare them into, to scare the hell out of them, basically. Uh, Leanne actually became a Christian because she was, after watching the, the movie, it was, it was that scary. Uh, it, was, it was this whole, and, and it played on the fear of being left behind. Tim LaHaye has made millions of dollars playing on Christians' fears and focusing on in, uh, painting it all in, in, a, in a very uh, graphic language. Uh, it's kind of like a science fiction. In, when I was about in my 20s, there was an author by the name of Frank Peretti, uh, who made, also made lots and lots of money uh, with Christian science fiction. There's a whole lot of stuff in that. Now, some of what they were saying is true, some from my view, from my perspective, some some isn't. But it was all fiction and people started to believe that was, you know, that was the gospel and they, that was the picture they had in their head. That's, what we've got to, that's why I'm encouraging you to take a deep dive in the Bible this morning. Well, let's work out what Jesus is actually saying because it's really easy to head down the wrong path. So what does he say? His main concern was that they, we wouldn't be deceived. Then he says, many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are just the beginnings of birth pains. So what's he saying? There's going to be a whole lot of really tough stuff that happens and probably in his mind, starting with the destruction of the temple in AD 70, but that it was the idea that, that each of the, these horrible things that happened, this, these horrible things don't mark my return. And I, this is where I, I think it's, I, I'm sad about some people's understanding of the end times because it's left them being terrified of Jesus coming back, which is silly. Like the idea that the Son of God coming back is bad news is craziness. But, but they're misread, in my view, their misreading of Scripture and the dangerous twist they put on that somehow when Jesus comes back, he's not strong enough to defeat Satan and so defeat evil, that's, that's actually heresy. Satan was defeated on the cross. That, that victory is won. And so, if you find yourself scared of Jesus coming back, then the danger is you you may be getting sucked into wrong beliefs about what's happening. What Jesus is saying here is bad stuff's going to happen. None of that bad stuff is about me coming back. It's the beginning of birth pains. Uh, How long did Maddie take? I remember, it felt like ages. from From the first pain to the... I mean... It was, a, I think, it was like a day and a half. Or something. It was quite the whole point of birth. Like some people know when there's a birth pain, they got to get to hospital real quick. Uh, we weren't so much like that, were we? Birth pain started, we could probably get, book a holiday and come back. And, <laughs> and, and 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 what Jesus is saying is, it's the the pains are not are not the birth. And and he says you will then you're going to be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you'll be hated by all nations because of me and again this is where in the english we misread this moment this 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 text here actually literally says you're going to be hated by, because of my name remember the significance of god's name He's saying, the more you live as my representative, the forces of evil aren't going to like that. That's what he's saying. And some people are fearful of this moment in the future that is coming, that somehow everything is going to get worse than it currently is. Because they're putting a lot of weight on the word then. But you see, the... The, the, he's not saying once the birth pains start then you're going to be persecuted, he's saying this is going to be part of life as normal, he's not saying this is something that's happening in the future and in fact it's exactly what he's just said we, when we looked at Matthew chapter 10 he's he's already said I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves, He's this, here he's talking to the disciples about present tense. Some of us We'll grow up with a, a theology that says there's this horrible thing coming over the horizon. Jesus here is saying, Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. This is Matthew chapter 10. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought, and again, there the word is in, because of my name, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. So, I, it, it is possible that there is a time of persecution coming in the future. But it's not necessary to read this text as that. I, I don't, and I don't, as I read this, I think Jesus is saying, hey, the more you're hanging out with me, the more you're going to look different to the world, and the world's not going to be real comfortable with that. And there'll be persecution. And I, 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 we were talking in the teaching team earlier this week, I am not aware of a time in human history where somewhere in the world the church hasn't been being persecuted. And funnily enough, wherever it's persecuted, it grows. And it's the places where everything is safe and comfortable that the church seems to deteriorate. So, so I don't, th- my view is I don't think you have to panic too much about some, some horrible thing coming over the horizon. I think we need to understand our task is to be here as Jesus, in Jesus' name, representing his justice and mercy and compassion and get used to the idea that you're going to stick out like a sore thumb and some people aren't going to like it. And if everybody in, the, in our society likes what we're doing, we may be doing something wrong. So, Jesus says, and this is another thing that people say, this is, oh, we've got to watch out. Uh, Jesus says, "At, at this time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Again, there's this fear that somehow this is coming over the horizon. Well, it doesn't take much to look at the census and say, look, a lot of people seem to be turning away from the faith. Throughout church history, when the going gets tough, often those who aren't that committed get going. It's not a new phenomenon. Talk to, I'd love to talk to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I can't. At a time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a hero of mine, at a time where the, the By the huge majority of the Christian church was coming up with reasons to agree with Adolf Hitler, he and a few people stood up and said, no. And they lost their lives for it. We shouldn't be surprised when people fall away from the faith because the going gets tough. Because that's exactly what Jesus told us would happen in the parable of the sower, in Matthew 13, where he says the, about the, those who, where the, the seed falls on rocky ground, he says, since they have, the, they don't allow the truth of who Jesus is to go down inside of who they are, they just have an, an emotional response, is kind of the, the what the, the text is saying, and that, and so, because it's just a superficial emotional response, what Jesus says: since they've got no roof, root, they'll last only a short time. And again, because he's saying, many people are fearing there's this great persecution coming. He's saying, well, this is going to be business as usual, folks. He's saying, when trouble or persecution comes because of the world, the word they fall away quickly. I think the warning here isn't so much hold on and and prepare for some horrible thing coming over the horizon saying let the truth of who jesus is get down deeply into who you are and he says many false prophets will appear and deceive many people a false prophet is someone who wrongly says they know what god's saying and again people say well, you know, we must be in the end times, a whole lot of people are wrongly saying stuff and there's a whole, it's, let, let's be honest, for those, again, if you're, you're, not, you're not in touch with these circles, don't worry about this, but there's a whole bunch of people get right into prophecy uh, and, and, and love that kind of stuff, and, there was, and for a significant majority of them, the most recent US election was a, a bit of a wake-up call, because the significant majority of people who call themselves prophets were prophesying that Donald Trump was going to win the election Uh, and and, uh, at least one of them, I I respect, had the courage to say, look, I was wrong. Um, And what we have to watch is anybody who says, I'm speaking on behalf of God. And again, this isn't... Paul, uh, when he's preparing to say goodbye to the Ephesians, he says keep watch over, you, this is Acts 20, uh, 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock to which God's Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Paul's fear for the church is that people are going to come in and tell them what God's saying and take them away from who God actually is. So, Jesus is saying here, watch out for people who are full of themselves and think and, and are speaking on behalf of God. Uh, they will lead you astray. The test of a false prophet is whether they think they are the source of authority or whether they can acknowledge that Jesus is the source of authority, according to 1 John. And prophets, people who get into that stuff, who are saying stuff that uh, sounds a bit like, hate or divisive or that's a good indication that they are not actually prophets sent by God. I I believe we need prophets, we need people to bring us God's truth Uh, but we need people who are focused on Jesus, wouldn't you agree? And then just two more verses, Whether he says, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Wickedness is not a word we use a lot, is it? You don't use the word wickedness much. Helpful to understand what it means here, the Greek word anomia literally means lawlessness, what it means is somebody who doesn't recognise any authority beyond themselves. They are a law to themselves. I don't know if that sounds familiar, But we live in a society that says, be a law to yourself. The greatest crime you can commit in our society is not being true to yourself. That is actually what the Bible would call wickedness. The ultimate authority in the universe is Jesus Christ and our task as followers is to submit to Him. and it's interesting he says when he says the love of most will grow cold he's most of us hear that and think okay well he's talking about our feelings very clearly he's not he's not in this case where the love he he has told us he's used the exact same word to say love your enemies here the word in this context is not about how you feel about god or how you feel about people it's about whether you in terms of your relationship with other people whether you put them ahead of yourself in terms of your relationship with god whether you base your decision making the center of your will on who god is it's much more than your feeling will and so so jesus is preparing them and saying well i don't know how to tell you this boys you're asking me when this is going to happen we're actually firing the gun now And it's going to be waves of stuff happening for at least the next 2,000 years. There is this promise. He is coming back, and we're going to talk more about that. But him coming back is not bad news. It's fantastic news. Him coming back is going to restore the heavens and the earth. I'm going to talk more about that. But he said, before we get to that in the the coming weeks, uh, he says there is a task you've got. There's a task you've got. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. What he's saying is I'm not coming back until everybody's had a chance to get to know me. And and again, reading English, we will miss the point of this where it says the gospel to all nations. Uh, just... In, in our world at the moment, there are only 195 nations, and although some in some there are Christian persecution, uh, there, are, there are Christians in each one of those 195 nations. But the Greek word ethnis is, means people groups, people who, who are, are, are of a similar culture. And there's many, many more people groups within Australia, uh, within, around the world. Just for instance, there is... Uh, as as far as we know, 7,151 languages spoken in the world. And there are plenty of different people groups who speak the same language. So so Jesus is saying, I want to make sure everybody gets to know me. And you'll see, I think through the 1980s, we watered the Gospel down. I don't know if you've heard of the four spiritual laws. Anyone heard of that? That was a a simplification of the Gospel. Uh, The Gospel is much bigger than that, they're not, it's not the, not the truth, but you'll see what Jesus says here is the Gospel of the Kingdom. What the ultimate Gospel is, in some ways it's simple in the four spiritual laws, but it's also much more all-encompassing. That The the, the heart of the Gospel that Jesus uh, is communicating, that Paul is communicating, that's right the way through the Bible, is that Jesus is Lord. And not just lord over whether you're going to get to heaven or not he's lord of your whole life and he claims your allegiance in every aspect of your life and he wants to know whether you're going to build your life on his foundation or something else and so as as i said this has not been a normal message we're starting to dive deep into what the Bible's saying and you you need to have the background of the whole of the Bible to understand the revolutionary nature of what Jesus is saying. As he stands and says, this temple that you think is the intersection of heaven and earth, no, I am the intersection of heaven and earth. And all those that come to me will find life, and find relationship with the God of the universe who is reaching out and wanting to dwell with you. And then there's this scary thing that happens. I don't want to steal the, steal the thunder. You may want to read ahead. But he then passes the baton and says, you are now the temple. You are going to be built into the temple of God's Holy Spirit. You are now going to be the place where heaven and earth intersect and that is your task you are to be bearers of my name my justice my mercy my compassion you're not going to look for the 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 shortcuts or try and reduce things to cliches you're going to love me enough to look into the eyes of people and love them enough so that they can glimpse the truth of who i really am and that's how the world changes not with a a self-centered gospel of how do i avoid pain for my life or how do i get to heaven when i die The gospel of the kingdom that says Jesus is Lord and everything is different. That's the power and the depth and the breadth of what he's saying. And like I said, you really can't read the Bible in isolation and take little verses out in isolation. You'll miss the point and you'll end up believing Frank Peretti rather than the gospel. So we're going to talk more about this. I might just pray and then we'll we'll, uh, pass back to the band for one more song. Jesus... Uh, Help us, save us and forgive us from uh, being worried about you coming back. Uh, Jesus, thanks that you are coming back. Thanks that the pain and the the suffering and and the confusion are going to melt away. Uh, And help us understand the full weight of your words. When you say something greater than the temple's here, Thanks for John, who points it out so directly to us, where he says that you you came as a representation of God's glory. And uh, thanks that you now invite us to the life, the the glory that the Father gave you, you now give to us, which is a bit scary. Save us from watering it down. Save us from taking cliches or shortcuts. Help us be able to look into your eyes and uh, enter into the fullness of your life. We ask this in your name. Amen.